Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of Escaping Rock Bottom. I'm your host, Brandon Lee. Uh, For those of you who are listening, you're going to hear from a very special guest coming up in just a few moments. For those of you who are watching, you can see I've got a special guest with me today. Her name is Ashley. And if you can believe this, Ashley is 23 years old and she just strung together 100 days sober. So congratulations on that. It's a huge accomplishment. I'm always like, anybody who can make it to 90 days you got a good chance of survival. Those first 90 days, whew, they could be crucial and, mm-hmm. and tough and just emotionally raw. Yes. Um, so, my goodness, you're 23 years old. Yeah. Already in recovery. <laughs> yep. Have been since I was 15. 15 years old. Take me back to the first time that you delved into drugs and what kind of drug was it? Okay. So, I started off with weed, obviously, only for like a month. And at ages 13 to 14 or so, I started to do meth. Um, yeah. 13 to 14 and you already found meth. How? <laughs> like, that's going to be one question. So many, how at that age do you even find meth? Um, honestly, or do you even know that meth as a drug exists? I did because of the D.A.R.E. program at school. <laughs> they taught me that meth was a drug, right? right? D.A.R.E. to keep kids off drugs, <laughs> hence educating them. Wait, what is that? I could do that and it produces what? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I, they clearly didn't scare you enough with the no, D.A.R.E. program. No, not really. Honestly, not really. It kind of made me curious. <laughs> but no, I just stumbled upon it. I... I don't know. Was you just kind of a circle of friends you were with or the people you were hanging out with? Somebody said, hey, I have meth. Do you want to try it? No. Well, yeah. Yeah, that. But it wasn't really a circle of friends or anything. It was just me and um, one of my best friends and some older person that was hanging out at our house with like one of her older siblings. Okay. So. Um, for me, I know that, you know, I went to drugs and alcohol at age 14. Uh, cocaine and booze was my go-to at that age. Um but it was definitely an escape for me. I definitely suffered from depression. Mm-hmm. I knew at that age that I was gay, but that was very repressed. So I had a lot of gay shame. So that was like an amazing little outlet for me because sober in my feelings, I felt alone. I felt scared. I felt ashamed for being gay. Mm-hmm. felt like I was different, that I wasn't like everybody else. Yeah. What were some of the feelings that you, take me back to age 13, 14, you know, young Ashley and to why you chose drugs. Like what were some of the feelings that made you escape? Um, honestly, I was just depressed. Didn't really feel like I fit in, which, you know, you hear a lot, but, um, didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere. And like, I was just kind of different than other people. Um, I've always been social, but just internally, I didn't feel like I fit in. What was the relationship like with your family? Um, so my mom, uh, my dad moved to New York when I was about two years old. Um, so it's always just been me and my mom and it's been an amazing, amazing relationship. Um, she wasn't a drinker. She drank. Okay. Um, she actually got eight years sober this year. Wow. But it okay. wasn't, wasn't much of an influence. It was, she's very high functioning. Okay. So yeah. you never recalled back in a childhood, like seeing crazy drunk mom? No, not necessarily. No. Okay. So you don't, it wasn't like learned behavior, like necessarily so, in no. that sense. No. Okay, so you were escaping with meth, hardcore <laughs> drug at a very young age. Yeah. Um, what did that, how did that turn out for you? Like, would, I, I, you know, like, I, I don't know what else to say other than I, like you're 14, 15 doing meth. Like, what happened next? Um, honestly, it just, it was one of those things where I just wanted to keep feeling that way for the rest of my life. I finally felt like, um, pretty much like I was just on top of the world and like, I wanted to feel that way every day for the rest of my life. And did like, you? No. Chasing that high? Okay, yeah, yeah. 
Yes. I mean, and I never got there right. again. I always tell people the first time I did meth, um, the, you know, this one guy, it's a drug I stayed away from all the way up until I was 28. So I only did hmm. meth for six months before I got clean. Yeah. Meth, and then those six months, that's what took me to my knees. That's yeah. all it took was six months. Yeah. But I remember the first time I did meth, I felt like Superman. Yeah, pretty like, much. I felt <laughs> invincible. I felt like all my problems were gone. I found my solution. And I'm like, if this is what this feels like, I'm never not going to be high on this. Exactly. Exactly. And I kind of set out to do that. Um, and then, you know, when I was 15, um, my mom actually went to treatment for alcohol and everyone just thought I was crazy because that's the last person anyone would think would do drugs. I never lied. I never snuck out. I never really broke rules or anything. I was a perfect kid. Um, and all of a sudden I just started acting crazy and obviously it was because of the meth. So, um, you know, I got sent to a treatment center as well and that's where they found out it was the drugs and not just me being crazy. Right. So mom was like, okay, we got to send you to treatment. Yeah. And how did that first time in treatment go at such a young um, age? It honestly went well. Uh, planted the seed. Definitely. Um, I tackled a lot of um, emotional issues and just like kind of issues with abandonment and why I'm depressed, kind of figuring out what was wrong with me. Cause at that point I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, I just felt completely lost and alone. You know, there are some people who, who will preach, you don't need to know the why. You don't need to know the why you became a drug addict or why you went to alcohol. And that's fine for them, but I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wanted, I wanted to know because so many people would ask, like, if you didn't grow up with drugs around you, your parents weren't alcoholics, they didn't do drugs, how did you choose that? And I chose it as a teenager. So it was really important for me to find out why did I choose to escape? And, you know, for me, I too can relate to the depression. My depression was definitely around being gay and not being comfortable enough in society in the 90s to come out. Yeah. It made sense. And then really up until six years sober, decided to do therapy and realized that me being raped as a child and molested as a child had a much bigger impact on me than I gave credence to. Because yeah. I buried it so far down deep. Yes. That I'm like, no, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. <laughs> no, but that's looking nothing. back, I'm like, no, definitely was one of the reasons why I escaped. 100%. So do you recall any traumas that happened in your life as to why you escaped or um, no? Later on, yes, but I mean, when I started, not really. I mean, just growing up without a dad and whatnot, but I mean, that really, I don't know. I like to downsize everything. Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal, but no, I'm sure that, deal. yeah, it took an effect on me. Um, it was a big deal. But I think I was just really insecure. Um, I didn't know who I was. I don't think anybody at 14, you know, that age knows who they are, but I mean, going into middle school, high school, people have some sort of like an idea of what their identity is. Um, and I just pursued meth. <laughs> that was my identity. And being a drug addict was my identity. And I carried that for a very long time. How many treatment programs have you gone through? Around 16. 16 <laughs> treatment centers. You're 23 years old. The reason yeah. why I want to highlight that is because you mentioned a few minutes ago, you're like, that seed was planted in that first treatment center. Definitely. And I, there are, I get emails and phone calls from a lot of hopeless parents. And yeah. they're like... My son or daughter's been into you know three or four treatment facilities. They're not getting it. I'm afraid they're never going to get it. And the beautiful message about your story is that you've been to 16 <laughs> and that you recall that the seeds were planted. And I tell people that all the time. I'm like, no, no, no. Even if they come to an AA meeting or they go to a 12-step meeting and they go and relapse, 
when I tell them, I'm like, no, 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 but they know help exists and yeah. that seed is planted. Exactly. So that you eventually knew when there came a point in time that there's help out there for me. There's a place I can go that yes. can help me. Yeah, I was, um, that's the one thing that, I definitely um, appreciate through all my treatment centers I'd been to as an adolescent, which most of them I was, it was before I was 18. Um, didn't appreciate them in the moment. Cause you know, it's either you go or the cops kind of take you as a minor. You have no say in it in California. Um, but what I could take away from that, all, all those experiences was just like, I knew exactly who to go to, where to go to. I had an idea of what was wrong with me and that there was a solution. And also, you know, that was, most of my like teenage years so a lot of my friends were in the program and I did get involved in like so Cali Paw and you know all those things so I did yeah the seed was planted <laughs> the seed was planted and yeah so take me back to one of like you briefly told me a little bit about this story and I think it's magical I think it's one of the times that I can see in your life that you definitely had guardian angels looking over you definitely probably one of your real rock bottom moments Um, you just gotten well first off you got released from one of the rehab and treatment centers when you were doing meth you get out and then you started heroin yes correct what was heroin (laughs) like compared to meth um the complete opposite. Um, I remember always being like, I will never do heroin because it's just dirty and gross. And, you know, I just do meth. And, um, you know, one of um, my boyfriends had done it. And I, like I said, I was just curious, you know, um, I sought out somebody to shoot me up. Um, I was just really curious. And at the end of the day, I still I still prefer uppers, you know, but um, it was almost just a sense of relief and just like warmness. Everything's going to be OK. And that's the heroin feeling. Exactly. That's that warm feeling that you hear a lot of heroin users mm-hmm. describe. Yeah, and it just kind of like shuts you off from the outside world almost. Okay, so you, you start doing heroin. You're so young that you were like released from a treatment center, a rehab center, and you eventually became homeless. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, um, in between treatment centers, I always would try to like run away almost um, from my mom, my mom's house. And she would just be like, Ashley, that's not legal. I can't let you just leave. But like I was drawn to um, the idea of being able to do what I want when I want and have nobody tell me what to do. And I could go do what I want, which is just to get high and like ruin my life without anybody bothering me, you know? Um, and so I, when I was 17, I was in Colorado. Um, I relapsed at this sober living and you know, you I got kicked out. Yeah, no. So I got kicked out, went to a motel, um, got high for a little bit and came back out here. Um, and at that point I was 18 and my mom just said, you know, if you don't want to get sober, then you could go finally be homeless. You know, it's legal now. Wow. And I have to say <laughs> kudos to your mom. Uh, I know. what, a I. no one knows how, how hard it is that bond between parent and child. Yeah. For a parent to have the strength to go mm-hmm. against all maternal instincts Yeah, of being like, I will do anything to keep you alive. But your mom was like, no. Yeah. You know, you I don't get, <laughs> she drew a boundary being like, you don't get to live here and get high. Yeah, exactly. Um, she started going to Al-Anon, obviously. Like, clear, that's clearly and, Al-Anon yeah. encouraging <laughs> a mom to kick you or to say, you're I not know, welcome here. I know. Exactly. So, um, you know, Although that's great and all for her. And like, I'm really happy that it enabled her to like, 
you know, have her own life without me ruining it completely anymore. Um, I used to say actually that, you know, by loving me, she almost enabled me from hitting my bottom. Um, <laughs> had she, because listen, and here's the other thing. It's a beautiful lesson that Ashley's able to share. That is such an important lesson that parents need to hear mm-hmm. because had your mom allowed you back into your house, yeah, knowing you were using, did you know a majority of the overdoses of teenage overdoses happen in a parent's home? That, that honestly makes sense. Right? I can't even Parents tell you how like, many. Don't go out on the streets. Don't be homeless. Just do it here. You'll Just be safe. Just do it here. You'll be safe. A majority of the overdoses of teenagers, it happens in the family's home. Yeah. Because parents, by allowing their drug-using child to stay in their home, mm-hmm. you're actually enabling them and yeah. their drug use. Yeah. That's a hard thing to go through So as a mom parent. was like, Ashley, you ain't coming back to live here. Yeah. So what did you do? Um, so I got to go be homeless. <laughs> How was that? Um, you know, it's, it's rough. It's rough, especially going from a nice home in Mission Viejo with a nice family to just like, you know, fending for myself. Um, it was great and all because I finally didn't have to answer to anybody and I got to do what I wanted. Um, but it's tough to survive, you know. Um, girls have their, you know, their advantages and stuff. But it's hard. It's really definitely it's hard. Yeah. I mean, especially being so young too young and being homeless and and being addicted and trying to get those drugs and you know as you said I mean I know I can only speak for myself but there was a point in time in my life um and I actually share about in the book I I really haven't shared too much about it but there was a time where I was in a bind and I didn't have any money on me and yeah I did what I needed to do in order for a guy to give me Exactly. Some of his drugs. Exactly. You know, and, and it's it's one of the low points when I look at it in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's gross. Yeah. And I had a lot of shame around it. 100%. That I'm like, you really just did that so you can get high. Yeah. And, but I, going into that state of mind, Ashley, I'm like, I didn't fucking care. Yeah. Like, you I know. wanted to get high. And if that meant I had to do X, Y, and Z in order to get it, I did it. Yeah, I can relate to that completely, um, especially later on during homelessness and everything. That's definitely, um, I'll do whatever I have to do in order to make totally. sure I'm okay at the end of the night. I don't and care that's just if the I, desperation. Yeah, and I don't care if I'm like, you know, committing crimes. I don't right. care if I'm using my body. And as right. shameful as it is, that's that's how I supported myself and how I was able to survive for so long. And that's one of those things I don't like to necessarily be completely open about. Um, but it's the reality. It really is the reality. And I know that there's plenty of other people and young women out there that are in that same kind of situation. I mean, I grew up, we both grew up in Orange County <laughs> and, um, and the, I prostituted myself twice, um, yeah. in order to get what I needed to get, you know, mm-hmm. during that drug addiction stage, you yeah. know, it's, it's insane. And you know, I grew up in a, in a beautiful neighborhood <laughs> in Laguna same. beach, California and went to like, you know, the best schools. And I just try and tell people it doesn't effing matter. None of it does. <laughs> None of it matters you know it doesn't discriminate it doesn't it doesn't discriminate i don't care and that's why you know i put a face to put a face to addiction while i'm doing the podcast (laughs) and writing the book because i want people to know that that was the life i once lived but look at my life now and and look at the beautiful life that i've been able to build and create for myself now it's all because i got sober right 100 percent. and i want people to know that as painful as it can be sharing about me prostituting myself at you know twice in my life to get the drugs that i needed 
I want people to know that it doesn't matter where you grow up. That's how far down the scale you can go. Exactly. And that's how exactly. Ugly drug addiction can mm-hmm. be. So at some point you have a child. Yes, I oh, do. Yeah. I have a four-year-old. <laughs> Ashley's got a four-year-old. I do. You're 23 and you have 100 days sober. Yes. So next question is at what point you've been, you've, you've had times of sobriety, then you'd relapse, got some time together. Where did the baby come in? Um, the baby came in. I got pregnant at six months sober in 2013. Um, I'd gotten sober because Jody Barber had found me. I had my Godshot intervention um, and I was convinced by a bunch of people that played part in my life they all showed up at the same gas station parking lot so yeah I, well, well that's before the baby so let's actually talk about yeah, that so you yeah. were homeless and really your rock bottom rock bottom moment came at a time where all these guardian angels found you how tell me about that story <laughs> so that was definitely my first rock bottom um a big eye opener so you know i was i was really out of my mind i was very sick i didn't know how sick i was um and i was just stuck in this gas station parking lot at a shopping center next to my mom's house for quite some time um somebody some nice lady had seen me and posted a picture of me on facebook saying how could i help this young lady i don't know what to do is she okay like um and somebody had uh seen her post and contacted their mom who knew jody barber and um reached out to her and she showed up to this parking lot where i was at um what was your reaction when jody approached you i think you i didn't know jody then i think i had heard of her um i believe she helped my ex-boyfriend at the time or something like that so and just for background jody barber has already been on my podcast so if you're wondering who she is you can go back through the episodes i've interviewed jody yeah jody lost her teenage son to an opioid overdose and Jody's life mission now is to do whatever the hell she can to save as many youth as possible. And she definitely saved my life. Um, so she showed up and a couple of other people who didn't really communicate with each other at all. They were just all there at the same time. And, um, so Jody convinced me to go to detox and, um, I went to go get medically cleared at the hospital and my mom noticed some rashes on my arms and I was kind of really actually out of it. And so they ran some tests and they found out I had sepsis and I had probably had it for two days at that point. Um, so it was in my heart. Um, I got pneumonia and so I was in the ICU for about two weeks with a pig line in my neck, not really being told if I was going to be okay or not or what was going to happen. Um, and that was definitely a really scary moment for me. Um, so I did decide to get sober after that. Um, that was July 30th, 2013. Um, and then when I was about six months sober, I got pregnant with my son, um, and had him at somewhere around 18 months of sobriety. So you were sober when you got pregnant. Correct. You stayed sober through the pregnancy. Yeah. And up until he was about six months old. Amazing. So (laughs) the baby's name is Noah. So Noah doesn't have any drug withdrawals. Mm -mm. Okay. So amazing. Noah is is good. (laughs) Okay, but eventually you relapsed. Yes, I did. I did. Um, so when he was about six months old, you know, I, you know, I was consumed with taking care of him. His dad was unfortunately getting high. Um, I was working at an adolescent treatment facility and um, didn't really make time for myself at all. So I was dry for a little bit, and then I I couldn't stand it anymore. Being dry was worse than being high. I'm stuck, still stuck with the same person, but I don't even have drugs like give me any sort of relief. Um, so I eventually got high. Um, thought I could just get high like a little bit I didn't want to lose my job I got my dream job my dream life and never thought that I would have that kind of life um and I ended up going on run for about four years it's taken me nearly four years to get to this point I haven't had a hundred or so days since 
that point in 2013. Where is the, where is Noah been? So Noah's been with my mom. And okay. um, when I had my son, I was in sober living still. And so I moved back in with my mom. Um, and then when he, when everyone found out I had relapsed, I got off work at my treatment center job. I overdosed and I broke my jaw in three places. And um, yes, I was in the trauma unit at the ICU. And at that point, obviously my secret was blown. And um, my mom just said, either you get, you know, you get clean or like you need to leave. Um, and in leaving, like you're going to risk him going to foster care. I can't take care of him. Um, that was one of the most decision, the um, hardest decisions I've ever had to make. You know, I did try to get sober and you know after 30 days I relapsed and then I realized at the end of the day it doesn't matter if I want to get clean it doesn't matter if I have my son or all that I have to live for or even how bad I really want it if I'm not willing to put in the work it doesn't mean anything you know so I had to go have my experience um and my son has been with my mom <laughs> son's not in foster care no thank god no my mom is amazing I signed over my rights to her and um you know I could have either dragged him with me through this or you know, leave them somewhere safe. It's amazing. So <laughs> you now have in this state, you've got a hundred days, right? I do. Now we're, yes. now we're caught up and you, you're at a hundred days. Yeah. And it's amazing that you've reached a hundred days. It's how old's your son now? He's four and a half. He's just four, about and, four and, a half. and a half. Yeah. Okay. And do you live, you're at sober living. I'm now. in a sober living. Um, yeah. In LA. So what are you doing differently this time around? Um, what are you doing differently? Because you obviously have experience, a lot of experience with treatment yeah. centers and sober living. So, you know, a lot of people will say, okay, well, is she ever going to get it? And Oh my gosh, know? yeah, definitely. And so what are you doing differently? Um, Everybody always asks me that and typically I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. And even this time around, I was like, I don't know. I just went into this program in August and here I have relapsed a couple times while here. And so there's like, what's going to be different? In reality, you know, um, I realized how... This is a matter of life or death. You know, I had overdosed on fentanyl twice in a week and um, it really scared me. It scared me again, gave me that sense of urgency and like that gift of des desperation, as people say. And um, I started to reach out for suggestion. And I took whatever direction I was given. Um, I jumped right into my steps. I, yeah, I really just submerged myself in this because I don't want to die. This is a really, it's a tough question and, and I mean it with a lot of compassion yeah, because I want people to understand how powerful drugs can be. Yeah. Essentially drugs were so powerful in your life that there were times where you chose drugs over your son. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Scary. Yeah. I looked at it. Um, that, that really is scary when you reach a moment where it doesn't really matter if you want to get high or not. Like that's just, you're gonna have, you're, you just have to do that. I right. mean, um, yeah, so I looked at drugs as my, it went hand-in-hand hand with homelessness. And to me, that was just like, I didn't have to worry about letting anybody else down. I didn't have to worry about messing up my son even worse. Um, again, I was free from anybody having any sort of restriction on my life. And I do what I want when I want. And, you know, just kind of self-destruct ultimately. You know, they say this program is a very selfish program that 12 steps of recovery are selfish. And, you know, the reason why we say it's such a selfish program is that I'm no good to anybody. I am no good to mm -hmm. anybody on this earth if I don't make myself the number one priority. Yeah. And I think what's hard for non-addicts to understand, they're like, no, like, 
number one should always be your children yeah. or God and then children mm-hmm. and, and then yourself. And I'm like, okay, that's totally ass backwards for an addict because yeah. addicts and our disease, we're no good to our children. We're no good to anybody else, employees or friends or brothers and sisters. We're just, we're, n- we're no good. A hundred percent. I so agree completely. <laughs> you are taking care of yourself yes. right now. So yes, that I am. you can be a mom to yes, Noah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, when I had initially left my son after, you know, I relapsed, the whole goal of that was so I could get to this point where I was willing and I could finally put in all this work so then I could be there for him in the long run, you know? Well, um, what do you say to people who are struggling and, and people who have found themselves feeling hopeless and helpless and maybe they have a couple of stints in rehab and it's never worked for them and they're back out using again and, you know, what is your message to them? Just reach out, honestly, and don't give up. Um, Have an open mind. Actually try to hear something different. You know, after going to rehab so many times, you hear the same thing and it gets repetitive, but it's as repetitive as you make it. Honestly, you don't have to go back and do it again. Just try to take something different from it every time. And, um, you know, find somebody that you trust to give you some sort of direction and suggestion and take it, you know, like, because you don't have the best ideas, honestly. What is... What are your what are your thoughts? What are your dreams? Like what do you want to you know, I think that's one of the beautiful things in recovery is that I I was able to finally see life so much more clear. Yeah. Um and my dreams and aspirations somewhat changed over time and you know, where do you what are some of your dreams? What are your goals? Okay, so um you know, it wasn't until maybe like two or three months ago and all of a sudden I realized I had this epiphany like I could do whatever I want in this world the world is my oyster and like I seriously have never had that because I had such poor um I didn't believe that I was capable of anything like that you know so all of a sudden having this newfound like confidence I'm like you know I want to open a bat and sloth sanctuary one day and I want to work with animals I'm gonna save all of them and it just it's bouncing around to like all these different things I want to travel I want to do this but like honestly at the end of the day like I just want to be able to show up for my family. I want to be able to help other people. I want to be able to be there for my son and like be present in his life. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. I've never been able to be present for any of my friends, family, anything like that, or even for myself or for life, you know? Where is spirituality is, as we sort of begin, we have a few minutes left. Where is spirituality in your life? Because I think you and I were very similar in that, like, we definitely didn't have a spiritual connection while we were actively using. Yeah. And definitely was not a prayer, didn't believe in God. One of the things my sponsor had me do at the very beginning, and he asked me this first before he took me on. He's like, are you willing to do anything and everything that I ask of you to do in order to get sober? (laughs) And I was like reluctantly sure (laughs) um and so he had me doing a lot of activities and one of the things that I felt really uncomfortable doing but I still did it was getting on my knees on the side of my bed every night and every morning to just pray yes so how do you build your relationship with your higher power your spirituality honestly it was kind of like awkward for me at first because like I don't have any sort of I didn't have um necessarily a conception of God I didn't know what my God looked like you know I've heard of activities like write down the characteristics that your God has or your higher power. And like, I truly didn't know. Um, but the cool thing about my higher power is it's constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. It, it's changing as like my life is changing and the world's changing around me. And, um, I honestly have to like fall back on prayer. Prayer is the only thing that gets me out of myself, you know, because if I don't pray and try to turn things over, at least have a consciously like conscious effort to do it a billion times a day. Um, my life will go to crap. 
I'll try to control it and it never works out the way <laughs> I want it to, you know? Yeah. And for me, it really took the written work in AA, what we call the four step where we just basically write out everybody yeah. who's wrong. <laughs> you just write out everything. Um, but it was really during the four step for me that I was able to look back and be like, Huh, should have died then. Should have died. Definitely should have died that night. Yeah. Didn't. And it was finally just like, my sponsor looked at me and he was like, yo, Brandon, like, seriously, like, what else do you, what else needs to be shown to you for you to yeah. finally realize that you were kept on this earth for a higher purpose? Yeah. No, definitely. I was actually thinking about this not that long ago. Um, I heard somebody say in the meeting, like, oh, well, you know, I must have a greater purpose here. And I was sitting there, I was like, wow, like really God has played a lot in my life if I'm still here today. Like that has to be for a reason, you know? Nobody goes through all of these things and lives for like no apparent reason. Right, and I always and, and I always say this, what, would, what the hell was the point of me suffering through all of that pain if that pain can't help somebody else through this? Yes, yeah. Like, my God, <laughs> tell me that there was a purpose for me going through all of that yeah. and things that I chose to do to myself. Exactly. Like, I take that responsibility, but my God, mm-hmm. tell me that there was a life <laughs> lesson that could be shared with other people so that they don't have to suffer quite as much. Yeah. So, okay, so you're at 100 days, and we're going to make a pack that okay. when you hit one year sober, you'll come back on the podcast okay, and you'll give me an update as to what your life is like, what you're doing, yes. how the year of sobriety has been. <laughs> Cause I know a lot of people are going to be like, what's up with Ashley? Like, whatever <laughs> happened to her? Um, Cause we're rooting for you. Thank you. you yeah, know, no, like, that would be amazing. That would be really cool. Yeah. I it, think it'd be interesting for me to even be able to reflect on everything. And yeah. I love documenting growth like that. Good. And I think, I think it, it is good for other people to see, especially after falling down so many times and getting back up and getting back up. Like, and that's the thing. And, and, and I'll close by this is just saying that I always look at people who, you know, I have nine and a half years in, and by the grace of God, I have not relapsed, Yeah, but, and that's not part of my story. And, and it doesn't have to be part of your story, but the reality is a lot of people do relapse. Yes. And I always <laughs> say that, God, those are some of the strongest people out there that they actually came back and showed their face to an, the same room of addicts and alcoholics saying, I relapsed, but I'm yeah. back. And <laughs> definitely humbling <laughs> it is humbling. And there, I, I have such a fear that I don't know if I would have the strength to over overcome my ego yeah to come back after if i did relapse so that's why I always i'm like you came back like <laughs> hey tell me what it was like tell me please tell me it was terrible and yeah. everybody i asked they always go it was an awful yeah you know the high was never the same as never. that first high no it's all delusional thinking it when is you delusional. go out it's never going to be the same our fantasies are like the devil's playground in our head <laughs> for real and we believe them that's the sick part and it, we we do believe that those yeah. fantasies about like that great high still exists and yeah and if that was the case you know people wouldn't be coming in off of relapses saying it was horrible like i haven't heard anyone say come in and be like it was a time in my life i'm gonna do this again next week it went just as planned you know like no yeah. i tell people that time too I have never once heard somebody on a relapse come back to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, AA or 12-step meetings, whatever you're going to do. Yeah. I've never once heard somebody on a relapse come back and say, Brandon, it was amazing. Let's try it again next week. Let's do it together. It'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's always like, Brandon, it's awful. And once you have a 12-step program in your head, the moment you get high... That's it's, all you think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And How I've you been just messed up everything and all that work you've done is just like, they're like, it's the worst high. I've had that since I was 15 yeah. and first introduced <laughs> to the program. So it is no fun. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, well, thank you again. 
Thank yeah, you thank for you. coming on the show. And, and thanks for sharing your story. Um, and congrats on 100 days. Thank you. Ashley. I appreciate rock. it. You're amazing. Thank and you're going to you. save lives with your story. <laughs> thanks. thanks for uh, watching Escaping Rock Bottom. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and my website, escapingrockbottom.com. We'll see you back here next Wednesday.